Welcome to the CBIA BizCast powered by Google. On this podcast, we dive into stories about Connecticut businesses. Downs Construction actually came to my school. And business leaders. I think it's always also really important to be able to see a path forward. We're shaping the future of Connecticut's economy. Thanks for joining us for a special edition of the CBIA BizCast as we break down CBIA's 2024 policy solutions. I'm Ashley Zane. I'm a senior public policy associate, and I'm here with our new VP of public policy, Chris Davis. So, Chris, welcome to CBIA and your your first appearance on the BizCast. I'm excited. So before we dive into today's policy solutions, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You're not new to the General Assembly, while this may be your first year lobbying. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I come to CBIA with quite a bit of experience at the General Assembly. I served 10 years uh, representing the communities of East Windsor and Ellington. During that time, uh, from 2011 to 2021, uh, I served as the ranking member of the Finance, Revenue, and Bonding Committee on the State Bond Commission, um, worked uh, across the aisle on many different issues, including creating the uh, 2017 bipartisan budget and 2018 bipartisan budget that kind of led to the, the great fiscal stability that we've had over the last few years here in the state of Connecticut. So um, from there, I moved on to the Connecticut Lottery Corporation when I didn't run for re-election in 2020 and um, did government affairs for them and was there for about three years before landing here at CBIA, who I've been partnering with my whole time in the legislature and, and really been working with them to try to make a better business climate. So it was a perfect fit to come here. Yeah, and we're very happy to have you as well. So we launched a Transform Connecticut campaign just over a year ago, and we looked to identify some solutions that help leverage the state's strengths and really foster new opportunities, focusing on a vibrant, robust, and equitable economy. So now that we're over a year into this campaign, let's talk about what went into actually building out these solutions. So it's a multi-month process each year that we take here at CBIA to come up with these policy solutions and really building on that platform from the Transform CT agenda that we had last year. So we met with businesses across the state, member businesses as well as non-member businesses. We did surveys. And then we did kind of uh, focus groups within uh, our policy team to come up with the agenda items that really touched upon all the issues that are important to our members here at CBIA. So it's a multi-month uh, process that really led us to this point of being able to release our policy agenda for 2024. And we can probably break down all of these 12 policy points into three main buckets. So we have government modernization, competitiveness, and of course, workforce development, which is everyone's favorite topic right now. So why don't we start with modernization? Which points do we have for the 2024 session? Sure. So um, the first main one that we're really um, talking about, uh, even beyond just talking about those three buckets, is really protecting the state's fiscal guardrails. And that's something that's very important to our business community, to our members. When we got board approval for this uh, agenda, that really the number one issue that they wanted us to tackle was making sure that those guardrails stay in place because it's really given us that fiscal stability. In addition to um, you know making sure that we uh, control the costs of job creation here in the state of Connecticut, so protecting workers' compensation uh, model here in Connecticut, uh, making sure that we don't have those workplace mandates in place. Uh, or that really make it onerous to, to hire people here in Connecticut. So what we want to do uh, with this policy agenda, and especially the government modernization kind of pillar that we have, 
um, is make it more affordable to uh, hire people here in the state of Connecticut. And once they are employed, make it more affordable for them to live here in the state of Connecticut. And one of the main ways that we can do that is by offering uh, businesses the ability to have low-cost, affordable health insurance through uh, multiple employee welfare arrangements, MIWAs. Uh, it's an um, issue that we really kind of pushed last year and really introduced it for the first time here in Connecticut, although it's something that's available in many other states across the country um, that will allow for the small businesses to pool their risk and really look like one large employer when they go out for the health insurance. And this will help bring down those costs that employees will then benefit from as well and really use as a tool to help retain and, and uh attract employees here to the state of Connecticut, especially for our state's small businesses. So this is definitely for our small to mid-sized companies. Those are the ones that would take uh, advantage of this for sure. And it's um, available through uh, associations essentially. So uh, CBIA, uh, other associations, business trade organizations. We see it across the country that uh, many different organizations take advantage of this model. So we also try to make the state way more competitive. You know, we're competitive in basketball, and now we want to be competitive in business. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the points that are going to make Connecticut more attractive? Well, I think we need to really uh, concentrate on the affordability factors. And this is done through a number of different uh, policy issues. Um, one thing that really is an outlier for the state of Connecticut is that we have a temporary corporate surcharge on some of our largest employers here in the state. It, restricts the ability for them to make investments here in the state of Connecticut. So if we can come to an agreement to eliminate that corporate tax surcharge, we can see that investment made here in Connecticut rather than them choosing to make those investments in other states. And then to, to benefit our small businesses, uh, we should be looking to restore the, the pass-through entity tax credit. Um, this was a tax uh, that was established during the 2017 tax cuts that took place at the federal level. Um, and it really benefits small businesses to be able to um, be taxed at the pass-through level rather than at the individual income tax level. Um, but unfortunately, what happened in 2019, um, that credit was reduced. So now small business owners are essentially paying more in their income taxes each year. So if we can restore that tax credit, it would return about $60 million a year to over 125,000 small businesses across the state. I mean, that's real tangible money that can be used to buy new equipment, improve facilities, hire new people here in the state of Connecticut um, that will make a real direct impact uh, upon their ability to be competitive in the marketplace. We also have um, the opportunity as at the state level to really flourish in the bioscience sector. Um, Connecticut is seen as one of the top places in the country for bioscience com uh, companies uh, to, to start up, uh, grow here, and then ultimately stay here. Um, but what we're seeing is that we're becoming less and less competitive with some of the incentives that are available in New York City and some of the incentives that are available in the Boston uh, and greater Massachusetts area. So businesses are perhaps starting up, being spun out of universities like Yale and the University of Connecticut, uh, but then ultimately deciding to move to one of those other cities uh, because those incentives are just that much greater in those towns. So what we want to do is work with the legislature to try to come up with greater incentives to keep those kind of mid-stage bioscience companies to stay here in Connecticut when they get that additional capital to be able to invest it here in our state and grow the number of jobs that we have in that important industry to our, to our state. Yeah, you know, the bioscience industry is so important. We have Pfizer right now, but 
they're also looking for those startup companies to be within Connecticut for them to either work with or to possibly merge and acquire those companies. So if all these great startup companies are moving to Boston or New York, it's way better to have them here, homegrown and building out that way, right? Excellent. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're trying to do is trying to keep those companies right here so that they can grow uh, here in the state and make those investments that ultimately lead to those spinoff companies that then can also grow and keep growing here in the state. And if we can be very good at starting these companies, which we have been over the last several years here in Connecticut, what we need to become very good at is keeping those companies here in the state. It almost seems like these, the biotech bioscience company is the end game for the pipeline that we're starting to create even in the pre-K level where we're seeing an increased focus in STEM and entrepreneurship. So would you say that it's, it's fair to say we want to make sure that those investments see an ROI down the line and making sure that the state's investing in you know, the right education, the right new startup programs and pathways and that the end game is to have successful startups and eventually large companies like the Pfizer's of the world be in Connecticut. Exactly. Connecticut is one of the best states in the country, if not the best state in the country for education, for families to be attracted to move here and for families to want to stay here. And this is a great advantage for our businesses here in the state, especially the bioscience side when it comes to STEM education as some of the best STEM education in the country. But if we offer this for our K through 12 and ultimately for our higher education students, and then uh, don't have the jobs for them to have when they come out, um, then they're ultimately going to leave the state and go somewhere else. So by investing in, in STEM and other workforce development uh, activities at the, at the uh, K through 12 and higher education levels, it only sets up for our businesses to be able to help and attract and retain those employees here in the state of Connecticut. Yeah, and what I think is really great about all of our policy pledge points is that they all drift into each other, nothing operates in a vacuum. So this point actually ties back into workforce being one of our top issues and some of the policy solutions that we have that span every industry, every location. Labor shortage is one of the biggest issues that our companies are facing now. So which policy um, solutions do we have that tackle workforce specifically? So we're looking at uh, really trying to tackle this crisis, quite frankly, of the workforce shortage here in the state of Connecticut. We have one and a half jobs available uh, for everybody who's looking for a job. So what we're looking to do is have workforce development incentives that really ultimately lead to more employees wanting to uh, be here in Connecticut and then more jobs being able created for those employees when they do come here. So we are uh, pushing for a um, homebuyer tax incentive program that's very similar to an HSA where an employer uh, can contribute money into an HSA-style account for a home, first-time home buyer here in the state, who can then use that money to then go purchase their first home towards a down payment, towards renovations and whatnot. We've seen this successful model used in other states uh, like Iowa and, and others that have been able to help uh, retain and attract some of those um, younger employees to come here and quite frankly, get those uh, employees that are currently renting here in the state leading to a, a housing crisis that we have here in Connecticut to get them into home ownership and really start building that wealth that I think everybody knows is one of the best ways to have a strong economy here in Connecticut. So through that program, we'll be able to offer an, yet another incentive to have uh, employees stay here in Connecticut for minimal or low cost to the state through just a small tax deduction for both the employee and for the employer that participates. And that's really great because we have the highest average age out of most other states. So when we talk about competitiveness, 
having a older workforce that's going to be retiring, we're losing all that institutional knowledge, and having a tool to be able to recruit the younger workforce mm-hmm. into Connecticut with a first-time home buyer savings account, that could be huge. Yeah, and you know, to that point of the older workforce, we're, we're facing a crisis of, of, of retaining those young employees and getting them to go into the trades and other licensed occupations here in the state. So one of the things that we're looking to do this year is to cap those license costs. And this will benefit all employees that, that have to be licensed, which is about 21% of the employees here in Connecticut. Workers here in Connecticut are licensed through the state of Connecticut to do their job. Um, unfortunately, though, we have some of the highest uh, license costs in the country, uh, which is really a detriment to uh, being able to either enter the, the workforce or advance in the workforce. And what we've seen is that, and, and not just us here at CBIA, but even the University of West Virginia has done a study and, and reported that it really has caused uh, a limitation on economic mobility for our workers here in Connecticut and really impacted um, income inequality in, in the wage gap that we have and the wealth gap that we have here in the state by having high costs, high burdens to be able to be licensed to do your job here in Connecticut. So we're looking to work in a bipartisan manner. There was a bill last year that made it through a few committees um, with bipartisan support, and we're hopeful that we can get it over the finish line this year as well to help cap, cap those costs um, so that it's more affordable for people to even get a job here in Connecticut. Yeah, one thing I think we're seeing with licensing is that trailing spouse problem as well. We have a lot of military bases. We've got the sub base in Connecticut um, and that trailing spouse problem with women who are in licensed professions coming from another state who are no longer able to be a part of the workforce. Um, that's one thing that's keeping them out of the workforce. And another one is childcare, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So we're, you know, we've made strides towards the licensing just last year uh, for the, those uh, spouses of military members. So the next piece of that puzzle is the childcare to try to get them back into the workforce as well. So CBIA was an active participant in the Blue Ribbon Commission from the governor to try to come up with ideas on how we can address this kind of childcare shortage uh, crisis here in the state of Connecticut. Um, and we're really looking at a, a innovative models that have been used in some of the Midwestern states, like the TriShare model, where the state, the employer, and the employee share in the costs of being able to access health care as a way to retain and recruit employees uh, at those companies. So we're looking to start that program in eastern Connecticut um, and see how it expands across the state. Um, we're also looking uh, to take the recommendations from that Blue Ribbon um, panel to be able to expand the ratios for uh, the number of, um, of children that can be uh, in a if healthcare facility so that we can access or expand the number of slots that are available for them. And then kind of the third pillar of that is uh, a, a really cool and innovative program that we have here in Connecticut that's literally just starting up now, um, which is an incubator for fa- uh, family child care providers. And what this does is it gives them access to training, uh, facilities within nonprofits in particular, like the YMCA in New Britain has a really successful model that just launched um, that allows individuals to become licensed family child care um, providers, which really puts these um, slots for child care available right in the neighborhoods that desperately need them um, and get young, largely women um, involved in becoming entrepreneurs and starting up these businesses, whether they be at their own home through, or through uh, this program and it being launched in some of these other spaces that are available around the state. So right now, there's caps on the number of licenses that are available in the cities that they can do them. So we're working with a number of different uh, nonprofits across the state 
uh, to try to uh, expand that program so that more uh, entrepreneurs can have access to them and really ultimately uh, provide greater access to childcare across the state. Yeah, educators, we seem to have a big problem recruiting, retaining right now, and I think the COVID-19 pandemic had something to do with that. But along with trying to increase the number of early childhood care providers, we're also trying to increase the number of um, K-12, through especially in the high school, in the CTEC, the trade schools. Um, what are we doing surrounding that in our policy pledge? Yeah, and it goes to the to the aging workforce issues too, right? Where there's a lot of individuals that are not entering into the trades right now, and there's a lot of individuals that would like to enter into the trades, but they can't find uh, slots available for for access to them in the CTEC system um, because there's just not enough teachers to be able to teach those trades. And what we are proposing is a task force to come together and be able to come up with a, a pathway for individuals that are perhaps aging out of their career in um, plumbing, heating electricity that have years and years of experience, but maybe they didn't go and get that bachelor's degree. And they certainly maybe didn't get that master's degree in education to be able to become a teacher. So what we'd like to bring is all the interested stakeholders and parties together to have a task force to come up with a pathway for those individuals that have this extensive knowledge in the trades that they have, that bring them in and uh, help uh, then become teachers here in the state of Connecticut without necessarily having to go back to college and getting that bachelor's degree. Because um, we do recognize it's a specialized uh, skill set and trade for teachers here in, the, in Connecticut, and we're so thankful to have so many great ones here. But by allowing access of some of these really skilled t uh, uh, individuals that have years and years of experience to learn those skills and trades of being a teacher and be able to work with them, um, to expand the number uh, and availability of training programs here in Connecticut, we can only strengthen the workforce for years to come. So it's great to be able to use the institutional knowledge from the group that is leaving a profession and entering what most people call their second act <laughs> and become teachers to pass on that institutional knowledge to the next generation while also still doing something that they love and also having the right skills to actually be able to teach those students and how to actually break down a skill so that it's in a teachable way and that the next generation of our workforce is ready to go. Yeah, and this is really something that you know we can make positive changes now that will have lasting impacts on generations to come, not only on the students that are now have access to learning those trades, but then in the next generation when they decide that they no longer want to practice the trade, that they would then have access to be able to pay it back and come back and be able to teach. And it will only help grow the workforce in here in Connecticut that's desperately needed when we have 57,000 new people moving to our state in a, in a year. We need more people being able to be plumbers and electricians and carpenters and, and HVAC technicians in order to really help build that those child care facilities, those housing uh, needs that we have here in Connecticut uh, for years to come. And who would have thought that during your time when you were a legislator, we had negative migration into the state and now we have positive migration into the state. So all of these solutions that we have are also to keep that momentum moving forward and keeping people coming into the state, thriving in the state, growing old in the state, and also hopefully starting families. Um, but one thing we haven't touched on yet that a lot of our members are really concerned about is our energy policy. Mm -hmm. And how do we possibly go towards renewable energy? How do we reduce costs? Uh, maybe come off of peak uh, hours so that we're using less electricity. So are we doing anything surrounding that lovely energy bill that comes in every month? 
Well, thankfully, Connecticut has, was really on the forefront uh, about 10 years ago in developing programs for businesses to be able to access renewable energy sources for their own business facilities through what's known as the CPACE program. And we were one of the first states to really introduce that in the country. But with that program, there's certain limitations and that re require um, calculations to be made to prove that the investment that's being made into the new renewable energy, whether it be a solar panel or a heat pump or a new uh, AC uh, that's uh, highly efficient, that that ultimately has to equal the same amount of savings that you would get in your bill. And what we've seen and we've heard from businesses across the state is that they would love to invest in these renewable energy sources. However, it also often comes with other investments that they'd have to make to their facility, whether it be a new roof or maybe a complete replacement uh, of an HVAC system um, that would then make it too costly um, to act equal the same amount of energy savings that they would have in this program. So what we're advocating for this year is to remove that what's known as SIR uh, requirement on the CPACE program so that businesses can make those investments into renewable energy for, at the low cost uh, long-term loans that are available through the CPACE program and be able to uh, access those without having to meet that savings ratio, savings investment ratio, the SIR. Um, this is something that uh, several other states don't have this requirement that Connecticut has, and they've been able to see businesses make those renewable energy um, investments that will ultimately lead the state to hitting our renewable energy goals much, much faster and, and quite frankly, helping businesses save money at the same time. Yeah, you know, energy is always going to be one of those hot topics. And you were on the Energy and Technology Committee when you were a legislator. Are you seeing any shifts in thought with this new legislature? And do you think our energy policy is going to be um, seen in a positive light? I think there's uh, a growing um, need or view from legislators that we need to be looking at the long term plans for the state of Connecticut coming out of some of the uh, major costs that have been driving up the cost of energy here in Connecticut. Now looking at, you know, what that looks like for years to come and how do we make investments into our grid? How do we make ourselves more resilient to, to climate change? How do we um, start making those investments towards uh, EV uh, adoption, electric vehicle adoption, and the charging stations that are necessary for them, and the grid upgrades that are necessary in order to achieve that? Um, so I think you're starting to see the legislature start taking that longer-term view of it, and that's one of the things that we'll be working on through our, our CBIA foundation is that long-term economic strategic plan. Um, that we are currently in the process of trying to develop uh, with focus groups across the state right now, but ultimately um, coming out with a plan over the next several months that really takes that long-term look. You know, what we're talking about here today is a lot of what we're doing next session um, and what that economic strategic plan will be able to look at is what we're going to be doing over the next several years and really put Connecticut in a great place for economic growth in the years to come. Yeah, you know, and when we think of growth in that long-term plan, Again, going back to the fiscal guardrails, that's what I come back to. And while it's not a budget year, it's still every year is a budget year, realistically. All we're doing is making maybe some modifications this year. Um, but what are your thoughts on the budget? And we've had surpluses, which, again, is something we didn't have when you were a legislature in the legislature. So we have to make all of these investments. And do you think our policy plan, our strategic investments that the state should be making? 
I think what we're talking about here will lead to greater fiscal health uh, in the years to come, especially if we can protect those fiscal guardrails and add to them uh, by doing these policy uh, agenda that we're talking about here today. And one item that we didn't touch upon that really has an impact on the budget that can have a very positive impact on the ability to make investments is improving our, our state pension fund investment returns. Um, Connecticut is one of only two states uh, that has a sole fiduciary as the treasurer uh, overseeing the, the pension funds. Um, and recent reports have indicated that you know, the returns on those have been some of the worst in, in the country. Um, so if we can just make uh, some changes in how the, uh, the pension funds are governed um, and the investments that are made into them are governed, we could start seeing some really positive results. And one of the things that we've seen this play out with is with the fiscal guardrails and the additional deposits that have been made into the, both the state employee pension fund and the teacher's pension fund over the last five years has led to over $500 million being able to be used for other activities other than necessarily having to put it into the pension fund. Um, in the state budget. And if we had just increased those investment returns over that last 10-year period uh, to what is the medium or median across the country of what those returns were, we could have had billions of dollars that could have been in, uh, used to either make further investments towards childcare, towards housing, towards education, or even at that point start reducing taxes and making it more affordable to live here in Connecticut. So that's why we think it's an important uh, issue to take up. And I know it's it's gaining bipartisan support uh, in the legislature, and we're really looking forward to working with, with everyone, including the treasurer's office, to try to improve those investment returns in the future. So there's going to be a lot going on this session, which starts in February. It's a short session, but just because it's short doesn't mean there's not a lot or as much going on as there would be in a long session. So why don't you talk a little bit about what the team, you, me, Wyatt, Pete, and Paul are going to be doing in the next couple of months? Well, I think what makes CBIA very unique as far as, uh, especially for a business association here in Connecticut, but in, in general as an organization here in Connecticut, is that we really cover every single topic that the legislature covers. So we have a team of, of lobbyists here at CBIA um, that really covers every single committee uh, that, that is in the legislature. There's 26 committees. Um, so, you know, there's six of us that are licensed as lobbyists here at CBIA to really on a daily basis, interact with our policymakers and our business community to make sure that, our, that there is alignment there and that we can have a, a brighter future for the state. So we're going to be spending a lot of time at the state legislature over the next three months, as you can imagine, um, right up until the deadline, as things get no negotiated right up to the end. Uh, and we're very much looking forward to working with our, our member businesses to make sure that they're advocated uh, for um, all throughout the entire session this year. So if you're a member company, what's a way that you can get involved? There's definitely a lot of different levels of support that they could provide, but why don't we just talk about that for a second? So we offer a number of different ways for our member businesses to engage um, with our advocacy team through either policy breakfasts, um, pints and politics policy hours that we host uh, throughout the state as well, in addition to just being there for calls of action. So we, you know, we will actively reach out to businesses and say, hey, this is an important topic. Let's have you uh, engage with your legislature, and this is how you can do it. But we also offer here uh, for our advocacy members um, the ability to be on councils uh, of various different topics, whether it be energy and environment, tax policy, HR, business law. Uh, and various other uh, bioscience uh, growth council 
um, that that helps them engage on specific topics so that they can stay fully involved and fully engaged on what's going on in the legislature. And even when the legislature is out of session, what's happening on the administrative and the regulatory side uh, after session. So it's a great way for businesses to be able to be engaged uh, in their advocacy efforts uh, in order to best represent them at the state capitol. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the nice things about CBIA is if you want to get involved in an issue, you're not alone. So it's not like one small company who might not have the resources to go up against the state capitol and the legislators. They have us to back them up and use them as an example and meet, have them meet with their legislators. So meeting with your legislator is really important, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's one of the top things that you can do as a former legislator. I can say just getting uh, you know that one email from a business in my district could change my whole perspective on a certain specific issue uh, that I perhaps wasn't made aware of or didn't fully understand until I talked with them. So, you know, it's really really important that our businesses reach out to them. And CBIA is unique, and we're one of uh, the largest member organizations for business organizations in the country. Um, especially when you combine us with our affiliates, Constep and Ready CT, we're looking at almost five thousand companies. Companies that make up uh, the CBIA group. So, you know, the, the, we have a powerful voice when we go to the state capitol, but it, it can only be empowered if our businesses take an active role in talking to our legislators as well. You're no stranger to the late nights at the capitol. And a lot of what we do when we're advocating for our member companies is to create coalitions, have those, you know, 10 p.m. chats with legislators to try to get everyone involved. Can you talk a little bit about building coalitions and how you see this as a bipartisan policy pledge and solutions? So just a little bit on that. Yeah, CBIA is a nonpartisan organization. So we work with legislators on both sides of the aisle and with the administration, no matter what party they're from, to try to advance the, the policy agenda for our members. And what we can do when we're at the state capitol, because we are nonpartisan, we're able to work with those legislators, but also work with different coalitions of businesses, organizations, nonprofits, to be able to build those coalitions behind these policy ideas that impact so many people across our state. Um, so we as CBIA kind of bring to the table the ability to bring all these different groups together, oftentimes whether it be the, uh, with the uh, affordable health care bill for small business employees or uh, a third party litigation um, a consumer protection bill that we'll be working on this year as well, that we're able to bring a coalition of different organizations, nonprofits from both sides of the spectrum, conservative and progressive, and, and really work together to be able to, to bring uh, these, this policy uh, agenda to fruition. And that's really something that's unique about CBIA that I think a lot of our members really appreciate. All right, great. Well, Chris, it's going to be a very fun and very busy session. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm excited to, to join the CBA team, and I'm looking forward to uh, having a, a productive session this hey, year. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of the BizCast. Remember, you can listen, like, and, of course, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a review and let us know if you have any ideas for future podcasts. For a full list of episodes, head on over to CBIA.com.